0: guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly guinea radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. You know, I, I really like doing these, and we haven't done one in a while. I don't feel like it's been that long. I think maybe because the last... Uh, couple of months of episodes have been these interviews you know what i mean yeah yeah it's been a lot of fun doing the interviews and you get to talk to a lot of different people about interesting stuff but i really like doing these kind of free form discussion episodes too where we get to like you know philosophize about different records we dug and all that sort of stuff
1: i can't think of a better way to spend a saturday afternoon (laughs) (laughs) before we get going i just want to shout
0: out steve He uh, gave us some clarification on the S.O.D. episode, and he indicated that S.O.D. live at Budokan was actually in 92 at the Ritz when they played with Morbid Angel at Agnostic Front. Sounds like a pretty sick show, actually. Yeah, definitely. Today's episode is a sort of continuation of last week with uh, Harley Flanagan, my interview with Harley. And uh, that comes on the heels of Harley asserting his possession of the cro name. And if you listen to that episode, you'll, you'll see that Harley actually never always had control of the name. And there's a whole story behind that. And if you are listening to this episode and did not listen to the Harley episode, I urge you all to check that out. It was a very, very intense interview. Uh, you know Harley Flanagan is a incredibly interesting guy, and um, and that was like, like a very very um, it was a big honor for me to talk to him like that. I thought it was really cool.
1: Yeah, man. And uh, him taking control of the name also has had some new Chromags music.
0: Yes, and the new Chromags is almost like a continuation of one of the records that we're going to talk about this uh, this evening. And uh, th- well, before we get into this, let's definitely prop up the new Chromags. Victory Records. It's like an um, every member of the band is actually has been in the Chromags. You know, Rocky right. George. Like it's it's like a it's like a legit version of the band. It's not just like a bunch of guys that he grabbed off the street to play in a band and call it the Chromags. And um, I'm real excited. Uh, apparently, there's a full length LP in the can that's going to be released at some point next
1: year. And um, I'm looking forward to all that stuff. I really like the way it was thrown out there, too. So I'm going to add that. Like The way music is released today, it, at least in my opinion, can be very boring. It's the same formula for everything. I just woke up one morning, and all of a sudden, there it is. Yeah. I like that. Very cool. Yeah. That's kind of like how Nine Inch Nails has been
0: doing stuff. I know it's a you know, very abrupt departure in music style here, but... Um, Trent Reznor, they just like put their stuff out on iTunes, and then it's there. You right, know, no fanfare. A record comes out, and I kind of like that. There's no buildup. You know that that works, I guess, if people care about who your band is. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, like, I wouldn't know. Mike. <laughs> me, I don't know either, dude. Uh, so anyway, this week's episode, we we grouped together what I consider to be the kind of um, quintessential Chromatics records: "Age of Quarrel" and "Best Wishes." And they both came out like within a few years of each other, and they both featured more or less what's considered the classic Cro-Mags lineups. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what we're going to be hitting this week. And uh, yeah, you want to start off with Age of Carl since chronologically that one is the first record. Yeah, absolutely. The impact of the Cro-Mags is still being felt to this day uh, in in across, across several genres, really. I mean, if you're a hardcore band. They're a band that's definitely influenced you. If you're if you're playing extreme metal, their influence is still there in some level. Um, I know that Chromag's particularly Best Wishes has influenced a lot of the writing that I've done in Tombs and in other bands. Um, you know, and if you listen real close, you can hear it. And and they've been a very big influence uh on me as well as other people that I know that play metal. And um they kind of operated in both worlds um, back then. The only time I ever saw the classic Chromag's lineup was opening for Motorhead. Right. Yeah, and that was like unheard of in 1986, I think the, I think that show was. Yeah. Unheard of to have a band, those two bands go on the road together. And I think that the fact that bands from two completely different scenes toured together kind of... Enabled me to to view punk, hardcore, and metal as like the same sort of you know genre, the same kind of thing, even though there might be some philosophical differences in the two styles of music. And uh, that show was a huge eye opener for me. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it start just right off the bat. That's like
1: like a really crucial thing that the Cro-Mags took place in. I think, yeah, I think along with uh, Motorhead and the Misfits. Cro-Mags, especially the Age of Quarrel album, uh, was one of those albums that appealed to metal people, hardcore people, punk people. It was one of those albums that, you know, it just couldn't be denied how good it was and how original it was at the time. I mean, I don't know if we've mentioned Age of Quarrel on the crossover episode that we did, but uh, I mean, in a lot of ways that has a very metal influence oh 100 you know man, compared we'll get, to other records that are coming
0: out yeah and we'll, and we'll get into that too um yeah just th- just one more thing about that that show um, at the channel in boston i remember uh it was a meeting of two of the most scary groups of people i've ever seen in my life it was like <laughs> straight up like outlaw biker guys like these like mad biker looking dudes with like long hair and beards and and beard back when beards weren't cool like it wasn't like this cool millennial like hipster thing to have a beard you know what I mean (laughs) wearing like denim and leather and chains and all this stuff you know what I mean like engineer boots and then you know skinheads like scary bald guys with like flight jackets and you know Doc Martens and stuff you know what I mean
1: I could see that being a tough crowd
0: oh yeah dude it was like very, very intimidating, and um, to this day, like, one of the one of the coolest, like, best shows I've ever, you know, experienced, really. Is there a lot of violence at that show? Oh, yeah. It was all violence. The whole <laughs> thing was violence. It was like going to, like, a fucking, you know, like a battle zone, you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I missed the chance. I had one opportunity to see the OG version of the Cro-Mags uh, at the living room in Providence, Rhode Island, and... It was that's like a forty minute drive from where I grew up, maybe a little less, but it snowed like a bad snowstorm. And I, I just had got my license and there was no way I was going. Yeah. Um so I never seen the actual, you know, original version of the Chrome. So oh, I've seen many different incarnations, I've never got to see the original version.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, and and I actually that's the only time I ever saw Motorhead. Actually, wait, I saw him twice that year, but I never really saw Motorhead throughout the 90s or like up until uh, Lemmy's passing, really. I didn't see any of those later lineups of the bands.
1: I've seen Motorhead a ton, Yeah, uh, maybe eight times or something like that. I mean, now that Lemmy's passed, I kind of
0: wish I had seen them because I recently have, um, primarily because of uh, our new bass player, Drew, is a huge uh, Motorhead fan. I've been listening to a lot of the records that came out throughout the 90s and really digging a lot of that stuff. You know, it's like pretty cool stuff.
1: I like all that stuff, man, with Wurzel and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, um. Wurzel was on in the lineup I
0: saw that night. It was um, it was Orgasmatron.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, so Wurzel was
0: in the band. Great. Filthy Animal Taylor was in the band. That was his
1: return to the band. It was his return. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I remember I got a button at the show that says Return of the Animal. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish I still had it. You know I mean?
1: <laughs> that was my next question.
0: No, nah, I wish it's been long lost somewhere, you know.
1: Someone find one of those buttons and send it to me on the, on the streets somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the cro
0: So the lineup that we're referring to as the classic lineup features John Joseph on vocals, Harley Flanagan on bass, Guitar 1, Paris Mayhew. Guitar 2, Doug Holland. And drums by Mackie Jason. And, uh, you know, Doug Holland, prior to being in the Chromags, was in another New York hardcore band called Kraut, which is a fine band, if anyone wants to check that out. Yes, we're both Kraut fans. Yeah, you know, they had a hit song, All Twisted. Yes. Which I, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with that, you can go to YouTube and look it up. And if you like it, try to find the vinyl. Go to a record store somewhere and look for Kraut and try to find like the, the actual vinyl. It's a pretty pretty great record.
1: Uh it would refer to this as the classic lineup, but it was not the original lineup. No, it's not the original Which is lineup. a very important thing to throw out there because um, apparently there's been debate about this over the years as well. Yeah. Good thanks for making that differentiation because this though it is the classic lineup, there is it was a previous lineup. Yes, with uh, Eric Casanova on vocals, who I don't think has gone on to do anything musically after he left the Cro-Mags, but I'm not certain. It's not ringing a bell to me. Although never recorded on anything, he did play shows with them. There's photo evidence of that, which I read some ridiculous thing a few years ago that people were trying to deny, like, some some <laughs> conspiracy theory. That's great, man. That he was never in the band, and, like, he almost didn't exist as a person. <laughs> but there are plenty of photos of Eric Casanova. It's like the moon landing, right?
0: Where it's, <laughs> right, like, they people right. are saying that it was done on a soundstage, and, like, all these photos of Eric Casanova,
1: like, are doctored, you know, created, you know? It's, like...
0: <laughs> it's unbelievable.
1: This is the blessing and a curse about tackling these records and... The, uh, the Cro-Mags in general is that it's so easy to get sidetracked with a million stories antidotes and and urban legends too right right Uh, so we're we're gonna try to talk about the records a little bit but you know
0: Uh, so John Joseph and Harley both share writing credits for lyrics on this record okay the record was recorded at Eastside Sound New York City 1986 produced by Christopher Williamson engineered by Steve Remote which is kind of a sick name really (laughs) <laughs> mixed by both Williamson and Remote and assisted by Jamie Locke a guy that I actually met in the 90s really and I'll tell you about that okay yeah the back cover photo of the band was by Andrew Grossman mastered at Arasonic LTD the record was released by Profile Records in the United States and Rock Hotel Records September 1986 Profile was mostly known for releasing hip hop and R and B, as well as a couple of other hardcore records. Right, but mostly they were like you know, like a R and B hip hop kind of thing. Rock Hotel put out a ton of hardcore stuff. uh, Discharge, Grave New World, uh, you know the band Wargasm.
1: Yes, thrash band.
0: Yep. Uh, Doa Leeway, the uh, D.D. King 12 inch (laughs) came out on Rock Hotel. Familiar with that. That's DD Ramon. DD Ramon right. had a short lived hip hop thing that was called DD King. I did not know that. There's a full length record out there that I own, which okay. is awesome. Interesting. Kind of. <laughs> right. That's debatable whether yeah. it's awesome. The program length is 33 minutes and 44 seconds, and it, it beats uh, Slayer's Rain and Blood, which is only 28 minutes and 58 seconds.
1: I'm a sucker for a short record, man.
0: You know, there's a lot to be said for that, man. And um, it seems longer because of the impact of the music, man. If you think of both of those records, Slayer's record isn't even a half an hour long, Rain and Blood. Yeah. And it, you, you but there's a complete epic of fucking violence and depravity and evil like put out in that 24 it, minutes, man. It's
1: unrelenting. Yeah. And that's how I feel Age of Quarrel is also unrelenting. Exactly. You know. There's no filler. There's no, it's just, Great from beginning to end. I was going to run through the track listing. Just get all the particulars out of the way. We got the opener.
0: One of the most powerful openings of any record. We got to know. World peace. Show you no mercy. Malfunction. Street justice. Survival of the streets. Seekers of the truth. It's the limit. Hard times. By myself. Don't tread on me. Face the facts. Do unto others. Life of my own sign of the times now that's 15 songs in uh 33 minutes and 44 seconds
1: something to be said for that
0: yeah i mean that's like you know short sweet economy you know an economy of of content
1: you know what i'm saying now all the songs that you listed uh well maybe not all most of them were on the before the quarrel demo tape that they had released but there was a song called "Everybody's Gonna Die," okay, which did not make the album, really, and it is on the demo. Okay, but all the other songs are on the album. So
0: there's a couple of things that actually came out, like like you these other releases that were like predating this, and
1: so yeah, before the quarrel was a tape. You know, if you want to call it a demo, some people call it a demo. Some people just call it uh, a release uh, an album, but it was. A demo because almost all those songs were recorded right with the exception of that one which became major Quarrel. uh but i think it was released uh as a cassette only i'm not sure the timeline how far before maybe a couple of years before mm-hmm. um, but those songs had been out there for a long time before age of Choral proper was released yeah
0: yeah i mean that's kind of what i mean most bands that's how they operated back then it was like you know you you don't come off out of the box with like a record deal or right. And especially in hardcore and punk music, you might never have a record. You might never record any of your music. So a lot of things just, you would make a recording and you try to get gigs or whatever, get people into your band, mostly give them away to people, things right. like that. You know right. what I mean? Then maybe someday you get like uh someone who want to press it on a seven inch or something like that, or,
1: yeah, that that was like the steps that I when I started, you know, doing bands It was like a demo tape, cassette, hopefully a 7-inch and then maybe an album, which it took me, you know, forever to finally make an album. Do you think anyone still does it that way? Uh maybe uh, I don't know, I think it's different like maybe Bandcamp now has replaced the demo tape. Yeah, you're probably right about that. You and know MP3 what I mean? Streaming format. I think people still make 7 inches although 7 inch 7 inches used to be $3 and for some reason 7 inches are like $15 now. Really? Yeah, <laughs> 7 inches are like really Holy expensive shit, now. Man. Like I see 7 inches anywhere from like on the low side of like $8 up to like $15, $16 for like a two song, three song 7 inch. So, I don't know why it's so out of balance with the price range but uh yeah, I mean, there's probably young people out there that still do it the same way. You know, cassettes are cool, again, in a lot of circles. I see cassette releases now, so... Do you own a cassette player? I do. Really? Yeah. I own a double cassette player. <laughs> I have one of those, like, pro ones, like those pro
0: audio cassette double deck things. It's mm. in, like, a rack-mounted kind of thing.
1: That's what I got. Yeah. yeah. Those are cool. Yeah.
0: You know? So, I mean, I'd never want to not have that.
1: You know? No, me neither. I'm not, I'm not. you know, I say it's cool now because it is, it's just like the vinyl revival. I love vinyl. Uh, I'm not against cassettes, you know. I think it's cool. I'm glad I have my player. Yeah, yeah. totally. So the impact of this band,
0: I remember, you know, when back in the 80s. There was punk rock music. There was hard, the beginnings of hardcore. You know, there was, uh, you know, AF, um, you know, starting to hear about a lot of this stuff. And then, the chromags when that record came out, it was like nothing I'd ever really heard before. Same here. You know, and uh the the two the only other record that hit me the same way was Black was uh, Black Coffee. Well the song Black Coffee by Black Flag and Slip It In. Yep. Those two records to me were like the perfect sort of um meta you know crossing of metal, particularly Black Sabbath and punk rock music for lack of a better term yeah
1: man you know yeah. especially we got to know that intro is like one of the heaviest intros i've ever ever heard me too I, like you said earlier probably the one of the best if not the best opening track on any record almost i mean well, it could be debated but like especially in the in that circle of hardcore it's just like it automatically grabs you and the, the other thing to keep in mind too is like musicianship
0: wasn't really uh the, the norm, like good musicianship in punk music and hardcore back in the old days, really wasn't like stressed. You know, there wasn't like bands were getting a new guitar player because he was like this sick guitarist or a sick drummer. Right. It was like, okay, this is our buddy, so he's going to play drums. This is a guy who's like part of the scene, so he's going to play drums for us. But the Cromags were one of the first bands in New York specifically that actually brought a level of competency to their playing. You know, it's particularly uh, Mackie Jason, you know what I mean, as, as being like an incredible drummer that was playing this style of music. You know, You know them and the Bad Brains who Ooh. relocated to New York City, right. who were like legit
1: like jazz musicians
0: playing this kind of music.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was going to reference the Bad Brains as well because, yeah. you know, they, pr- they had the chops before most bands had the chops, you know? And I think, obviously, it's been docu- well-documented what a influence the Bad Brains were on uh, the Cro-Mags. Now, all in New York hardcore, really, too, Yeah, and, you know, you know? John Joseph and Harley spent a lot of time with those guys yep. and uh, got to know them, I think, on a very personal level, too. And, I mean, the rhythm section of the cro and the rhythm section of the Bad Brains are just not to be fucked with. Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, frankly... You know, the Chromags are great, but the Bad Brains are just on another hyper level above anyone playing this style of music, really. Right.
1: You right. Know. But I think h of Quora, when that came out, man, that was a game changer for a lot of people who were like, okay, we need to make some changes here. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And it was a
0: record, like, you know, once again, referencing our crossover episode that came out last year. Um Which actually, a lot of people. It's funny that we always go back to that. It's like we reference that a lot. It's like there seems to be this overarching theme with a lot of the you know episodes afterwards, where we end up talking about the crossover episode. Right. You know, so if you haven't listened to that one yet, check it out. Um, that you know, Chromags were one of those bands, though that metalheads started checking out. Yes. Like metalheads that were in the more extreme side of things, you know what I mean, that were like listening to Metallica, they were listening to Testament, you know, Slayer. That record, because I I do remember when I was a kid in high school, like straight up metalheads didn't want anything to do with punk. They kind of thought it was silly.
1: We're both old enough to remember those things.
0: Yes. Like, they were just like, oh, you know, that's that's kind of silly shit, you know, those guys can't play, they don't shred guitar solos, there's it like, it's too slow, or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Like, no yeah. one was like, no one took it seriously in the metal world, and, and I, like, I always loved metal, I got into metal first, before I started listening to punk, and deep down in my heart, I still love Judas Priest and all that stuff, even when I was in the early punk stuff, when I was a kid, trying to, like, find my, like, identity in that world, and you know, socially related more to that you know outsider like kind of mentality. On some level, I always was like, yeah, these dudes are kind of right, man. It's like stuff's cool, like the Ramones are cool, and and you know, Misfits are cool, and Samhain and all that stuff. But it's like they don't play as well as like you know, Metallica, you right? Know what I mean, <laughs> and um, you know, so yeah, there was there was a, a kernel of truth to that, but the Cro-Mags were one of the bands though that metalhead started taking seriously because they were. Fucking intense musicians. Yeah, you know?
1: absolutely. You know, I don't think it hurt that Motorhead took them out on that tour. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And and they could hold their own, like you said. They got up there and they played. They weren't they weren't fucking around, you know. Like, and then also uh, the opening track we got to know that got a lot of airplay on MTV. Yes, on 120 minutes, and then later on Headbangers Ball. Yeah, uh, and there was no videos like that. Nope. People stage diving, going crazy, moshing, like that shit. You know. Like a newsflash. Nirvana didn't invent that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? I forgot about Nirvana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, the, it was the total package, man. You know, and I think that's why it appealed. Uh, Motorhead took them out. I think Motorhead fans ended up respecting in a, in a time when it was hard to earn that respect. Like there was a quote from Lemmy in the Lemmy documentaries where he says, I remember a time before rock and roll, which is pretty insane. But me and you were old enough where we remember a time before punk and metal like tolerated each other. Yeah, totally. Right? There, it was two completely different things. And when yeah. you think about that now, it's almost insane to think that. It's funny. We talk about this a lot, actually. You know what I mean? That's because we're old.
0: Yeah, we're, yeah, we're old. <laughs> and we talk about it. <laughs> but um, that video also, I saw that video prior to that tour. I, can't, I I remember I was still living with my parents, so I was like in a, maybe a senior in high school, and um, I saw that video. It was either on 120 Minutes or Headbangers Ball because it was it got airplay on both, and I, I saw that there were like long hairs in the video. There was like a long haired dude with a chromax shirt on, right? And I was like, huh. I'm like, all right. What are Chromags? Are they a metal band? Are they a <laughs> A heart, you know, and that age—that's you need to to classify things like that way. You know what I mean? Right. You need to organize this stuff in your brain so that you can understand. So that you—you you didn't want to fuck up and be like, "Yeah, I like metal, man." You know, <laughs> I'm into the Dead Kennedys or something like that. You know, and then people laugh at you or you know whatever, make fun that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. These were real problems. Yeah, these then. are like real concerns at the time, man. So, when I saw that in the video, it kinda fucked with me a little bit and I was like, Okay, you know, this is like what's the story, you know what I mean? Right. So uh you know that and I guess when I went to a few months later when that show happened, it was like I, I was like, this is the real this is this is what the deal is. That they're just their own thing. Right. You know, they're a hardcore band, but they can go out there and fucking play with anyone basically.
1: Yeah. In a time where you couldn't do it.
0: No. You couldn't take, like, you know, I don't know, uh, you na- name a band from that era and put them on stage with, like, Motorhead or, like, Slayer or something. I'm going like to
1: name a band that I'm actually a, 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 a fan of, um, Youth of Today. Yeah, you couldn't put them with Motorhead. No, no way. You fucking kidding me, man? No, <laughs> no way. Those no. guys
0: could barely play their fucking instruments, right. No
1: man. No disrespect to Youth of Today. They were, they were uh, an important band and an intense band, but it was apples and oranges. Yeah. Or know? bold. Yeah. Bold, a band like that. You no couldn't way. put them on tour with Motorhead.
0: No way. And and have it work out well for them. Nope. Yeah. But the Chrome mags you could. That's a mm-hmm. that's an excellent point, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the other thing that I and I was never I was never interested in being a Krishna. However, even then I was interested in all this like esoteric shit. And the connection that they had with like this, like Hindu sort of philosophy, you know, age of quarrel, you know, Kali Yuga, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. I thought was like a very interesting thing about the band that made me like curious about them, you know. And that crossover of Hare Krishna and and uh, skinheads, which seemed fucking insane to me that those two <laughs>
1: worlds would ever meet. Man. Yeah, it seemed like almost impossible. It, it just doesn't make sense. You yeah, know what I mean, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense at all.
0: So that you know, they were a curious band to me, and um, you know, the music delivered, and uh, you know, there was this mythology about the band, like you know, you know, the, these intense street guys. You know, the songs these like macabre tales of <laughs> life on the streets and the struggle and all this kind of stuff, and right. like, and throughout all of that, this like um, attempt. To find some kind of spiritual meaning to anything everything.
1: And I think that really is like the kind of
0: message in like the early Chromax stuff.
1: Yeah. It was definitely unique. I remember I remember getting the record, uh, buying the vinyl, coming home and listening to it, and I pulled out the lyric sheet and read every lyric to every song, you know, along with the music as it played. And I remember it was really hard to do because the original version of that record, or the one I had, which I think was an original version. Uh, the dust sleeve was like a bright red, like orange, and all the lyrics were handwritten in oh, yeah. white. Mm-hmm. So even at that young age, when my eyes worked better than they do now, I was still had a really hard time. Yeah, but it was I was so captivated by it, like I, you know, I, just, I couldn't put it down. So yeah, that's um,
0: definitely part one of what I – if you were to like write like a um, you know, like if you were to create this like like reduction of their entire catalog to the to date because i'm not discounting anything that's going to be coming out by the chromags right i think this record and the next record that we're about to talk about best wishes are the reduction of all aspects of the band like that these two records will give you the whole bandwidth of the kind of thing that this band was about you know what I mean. Even though there are other records like Near Death Experience right, came out, right. and there are things I like about that record. Quite, I like sure. that record quite a bit actually.
1: You you turned me on uh, I kind of overlooked that record for a long, long time, and then you turned me on to it. It's solid. I mean, yeah. there's some solid you know tracks on there. You know, Alpha Omega has a couple of
0: good songs on it. You know, Revenge with you know.
1: Last year, we would spend a lot of Saturdays driving to New Jersey for band practice. And it seemed like Best Wishes and near-death experience got played a lot. Yeah, totally. Last year. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, before we wrap up and move on to uh, Best Wishes, do you remember uh, the first time you heard or the first time you bought Age of Quarrel? The first time I heard Age of Quarrel, yeah, it comes back to me. It was
0: at Rosemary's Texas Taco. In uh, Danbury, Connecticut, I think I think it's Danbury or Putnam Lake. It's right. It it used to be right on the border of Connecticut and New York. And I grew up not too far from the border of Connecticut in a town called Carmel. And Rosemary's Texas Taco was was the uh, the punk rock hangout with like the five kids that like punk rock music. Right. And um, I remember one summer, list someone laying that record on me there, and I was like. Tew. I was like, whoa. Right. And I'm like, I wanted that. The question immediately came to mind was, guys, is it okay that I still like Black Sabbath? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because I was like, that, I was like, "What?" this is like, sound, to me sounds like Black Sabbath, man. Yeah. yeah. And then they the song kicks in and it's like, it changes into a totally different thing. And that riff during the chorus, that tritone of like, that, it was like, fucking evil you know right and a lot of punk and hardcore from that era didn't wasn't evil really no definitely not you know what i mean it was fast
1: and it had a lot of aggression and energy it was aggressive but not necessarily angry
0: yeah but there was no evil evil. riffs in there evil you know there was no evil riffs and that's what i think the chromex brought like that minor sounding evilness to hardcore music so you
1: heard it before you actually purchased it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I purchased very few records when I was in high school just because I didn't, you know, I didn't really have any money and, you know, yeah. I would you know. So I I I had the early records that I bought were like Ramones albums, uh, Black Flag and um you know, some hard rock albums. But when it came to punk rock music, I had to wait till somebody brought me to Trash American style to buy punk records. Right. You know. And then there was a there was a record store in in Carmel that was called the Book and Record Store, which I've talked about before. Yeah. And they they were good for hard rock. They were good for thrash. You know, they were good for Motorhead Records, Ramones albums, but this kind of stuff, they just didn't have it there. Yeah. No hardcore and punk. Yeah. It wasn't until I went to college that I purchased Age of Quarrel at um damn, I forgot the name of the record store. Nuggets. No? no it wasn't called nuggets there used to be a record store on second Com- coming no no mm-hmm. definitely not that one it was like on commonwealth avenue uh out by out by uh, the paradise in your ear in your ear yeah, yeah. It's still there okay it's still there yeah downstairs
1: Great. excellent yeah still there and and that's where i bought it yeah um so like you i had to get people to drive me to record stores so this guy dave i went to high school with brought me to my first shows Skating, buying records. He drove up to Boston. I hitched a ride with him to Newberry Comics right. on Newberry Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought three records that day. I bought Suicidal Tendencies Join the Army, Crumbsucker's Suckers, Life of Dreams, and Cromag's Age of Quarrel, all on his recommendation. That's awesome. He knew all this shit. Those are great records. Yeah. And then when I came home that night, I listened to those records. I listened to Suicidal First. I already owned the first one. I thought it was cool. I listened to Crumbsuckers. Suckers. I was like, wow, this is great. But then when I listened to Age of Quarrel, that was a game changer, man. Yeah. You want to drop the needle on there for intro. That intro, man. That Those other two records are great. I still love them to this day, but the No Age of Quarrel,
0: <laughs> <laughs> It was like so such a powerful way to kick off a record, and not only was it real evil, it had this like emotional like vibe to it, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, this is like it was just on another level. Yeah. You know. Like that is intro level. is probably as good as any song they ever wrote, you know what I mean? Just right. the
1: intro of uh, we got to know. Sure. Sure. You know? um, so, yeah, I was just curious how, like, you know, you first heard the record.
0: Yeah. You know, it was, like, through friends. Like, there was a kid, Jim Califus, his name was, and, uh, and or is. He um, was a couple of years older than us, and, like, he was the go-to guy for punk music. Like, he knew about all the bands. He was going to CBs and, you know, taking the, the Metro North into the city, the big, bad city in the 80s, and, like, right. creeping around the Lower East Side and, <laughs> you know, finding him out about getting, gathering intel about all this, these exciting, mysterious bands and stuff right. like that, you know.
1: Yeah, like you lived in a fairly small town. I think my where I grew up was a little smaller. Yeah. But uh you need to have that guy, man. Yeah. He's a few years older, maybe he's got a car. Yep. And he's got the knowledge, you know. My friend Dave Mahan, man, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing any of this shit. The one good thing about Carmel is that it was close to the Metro North. So you could get into the city in right.
0: like an hour or fifteen minutes or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh but yeah, Jim, if you're out there and you hear this episode Hit me up, man. <laughs> Drop me a line. I'd like to talk to you again at some point, you know? Um so yeah, so that's age of quarrel, man. Yeah. Next up, John Joseph leaves the band, Mackie Jason leaves the band, and then we have another lineup for another record called Best Wishes, which came out um, 1989. So this lineup, it's uh, reduced from having a sole frontman, where Harley Flanagan takes over vocal duties and bass duties. We still have Paris, Mayhew, and Doug Holland on guitar. And then we have uh, the drummer to replace Mackie was Pete Hines, who's playing Murphy's Law. Yep. You know, and Pete, you know, he went on, uh, after the cro he went on to play in this band called Alloy from Boston. I don't know if you remember them. I do. I like Alloy. Yeah, With, Vic, uh, Vic Bondi. Vic Bondi, ex-Articles of Faith. Yep. Uh, then he went on to play in a band called Handsome. I, don't I know forgot if you he was that. in That's like a quote-unquote super group. Yes. Of... Um, that featured Pete Mangiati of Helmet, yep, the original. Well, the guy who played on Meantime, yep. Tom Capone, you know everyone Quick knows Sam. him, yep. And uh, and it was a
1: super group. Of- I I seen Handsome, you know I did too actually. Yeah. Uh, who do, who did they play with when you saw them? They headlined a show uh, uh the Tune In in New Haven. How was it? They were good, man. I I don't love that record. Uh, friends of mine love that record. It was solid, man. You know, I liked Quicksand better. I liked Helmet better. I liked all the other bands they were in better, but I thought it was cool. And
0: Pete Hines played in that band. Yeah.
1: But before he was
0: in Handsome,
1: he played in this Cro-Mags, you know, version of the
0: band, okay, and which is a fine, powerful version of the band. So Best Wishes was recorded at Normandy Sound in Warren, Warren Rhode Island in 1988-89. And Normandy Sound was a, a at that time, was a studio that it was like a go to studio for a lot of bands. Like Leeway recorded there, yep. Uh, tons uh, of bands. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ton, uh, Marky Judge. Mark and the and the f- the
1: Funky Bunch recorded there. They did. You know, Judge uh, sick of it all. Like, S- super Touch recorded their album there. Yeah, yeah. That was like a yeah. For a while, it was that a was go-to. like a, a spot to yeah. go and record hardcore band
0: records at. Yeah, as well as like Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> Uh, produced once again by Christopher Williams Williamson. Engineered by Tom Sores. Mixed by Williamson and Sores and a guy Robert Windsor. Assisted once again by Jamie Locke. And mastered at Orisonic LTD. Okay, Released by Profile in 1989. And as I mentioned before, Profile focused primarily on hip-hop and R&B music. The length of the record is 33 minutes and 9 seconds. I love it. Yeah. Track listing. We got Death Camps, Days of Confusion, The Only One, Down But Not Out, Crush the Demoniac, Refug- uh, the Fugitive, Then and Now, Final Track, Age of Quarrel. The album cover features the uh, the demon, the demon pers- personality of Kali, right? Now, for any of you guys out there who know about Hindu philosophy or the Hindu religion, there's Kali, the goddess Kali. Kali Ma which is uh you know a different entity and then there's Kali they talk about the age of quarrel Kali Yuga the fourth age of four ages in human existence typified by this the diminishing of mankind so these two records kind of dealt with that theme in you know the, the final days of of you know humanity
1: and I don't know I always thought that stuff was cool it was interesting how they kind of interwove that philosophy into those records, and then have songs like "Survival of the Streets." But actually, if you think about the actual Age of Quarrel, it, it actually makes a lot of
0: sense. Really, you know, like I didn't think at the time. I True. Was like, well, yeah. Yeah. True. But it's like yeah, like you know, man against man. People, you know, people like like you know, hurting hurting each other, um, focusing on the more baser aspects of human existence like that was, those are all things that were typified by by Kali Yuga and that the fact that these records had to do with like you know street justice and violence and all played into that you know philosophical bent of these two you know that sort of thing so you know later now at the time they were just sick records but right. now like i think back on it i'm
1: like yeah it's actually kind of cool you know well you know you know speaking of content lyrical content and meaning and stuff surrounding the early chromeags records uh the first track on best wishes death camps it's an animal rights song yeah you know, yeah. that was another philosophy that they embraced, maybe not everybody in the band, right? but the songwriters in the band. Yeah, because both, I think, Harley and John Joseph are are still to this day vegetarians or vegans even in some cases. I don't know. Right. You know. Um, which is another interesting concept when you look back at the quote-unquote life of the streets that those guys led. To to embrace a vegetarian lifestyle was probably tough for them a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, it's
0: interesting you bring that up, and also the the sort of infiltration of the Krishna consciousness into New York hardcore. If you in the in the eighties, there was a lot of Krishna temples in in the city, and you could go there and get free free meals, and you know they offered like yoga and all this other you know literature. Right, and a lot of like hardcore types were you know basically street kids at some right. point you know not all of them were a lot of them lived in jersey and long island with their fam- their families or connecticut yeah but there's like some you know the og guys were like living you know kind of hand to mouth so the the krishna consciousness thing was like hey let's get some free food you know and the krishnas had their own hustle in the 80s you know what i mean and it's like so that's why, how a lot of those kids got pulled into that. You know, right. Like 108 and, you know, we were later, obviously, but they're like yeah. a Krishna band, you know. Shelter. You know, Shelter. But I, I feel like the Cro-Mags were, um, it, it was only, they they weren't walking around in robes, you know what I mean? No, 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 no. They didn't take it that far. Yeah, and, and then, but the philosophical elements of it crept into their music in a way that I thought was like more accessible to the like guys like me. Who aren't into religions or anti religion, like like I you and I probably are both anti religion. You know what I mean? I am. Yeah, yes. totally, you know. And you, you mentioned Shelter, and I saw Shelter one time. They all had fucking these like Krishna get ups on and like a they're talking selling literature or giving away literature or whatever, and like Ray Capo was like talking about like, you know, how everyone's dogs because you embrace like your fucking sexuality and shit like that. Right. And I was just like you guys are fucking idiots, man.
1: This is like, <laughs> you're on some brainwashed shit that I just can't relate to, man. Yeah, man, I don't, I'm not down with religion. No matter what angle you're throwing at, at me, yeah, I'm not down with it. You know? um,
0: Yeah, and 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 like, both John Joseph and Harley have books out that if you guys are interested in getting into the, the you know, because there's many different st- versions of the story of these two albums. And the band and right. the lineups and who did what and what happened to who and all these other things. Yeah, we're not going down that road yeah. today. If you're interested in that aspect of it, you can they both have books out. John Joseph has uh Evolution of a Chromag. Yep. Which is like a very poorly edited <laughs> I mean I feel like he basically just talked into a into a, a tape recorder and somebody transcribed it into a book. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and then there's Harley's book, which came out on Feral House, which is an awesome publishing company.
1: Yeah, amazing. And, uh, that's a hardcore life of my own. Uh, John Joseph has another book too. I don't think it's related to the Cromags. Mags. <laughs> Meat is for Pussies. Yeah, but, uh, the Harley book, uh, Hardcore Life of My Own and, uh, Evolution of the Cromag. Mag, John Joseph's book, which I read Harley's book. I did the audiobook version of John Joseph's book. And, uh, Both uh, extremely entertaining. And you can form your own opinions on all that other stuff. The one thing that I do like more about Harley's book is that, number one,
0: it's obviously he worked with a better editor. Like, as a book, I think it holds together more. Right, right. And uh, it also is kind of like a a document of, like, New York City in that era. You know what I mean? It talks about, like, you know, other stuff besides just the or, like, his life. I mean, a lot of it is about his
1: life, but you get a feeling for like what the city was like in the late 70s too. Right. And I also think, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I checked out the John Joseph book and the Harley one I've checked out recently. The Harley one came out after all this drama with the the stabbing, stabbing Webster Hall, all that. And I I think the John Joseph book doesn't really, that came out before all that happened. Yeah, so it doesn't years cover before. that. Yeah, so it doesn't cover that. Because actually when that I remember I got that book as a gift from someone
0: and um and I also purchased the audiobook. And yeah. I read the read the book and I listened to the audiobook. And he the mags weren't even active during that period or his involvement in the program in the in the Cro-Mags, Right.
1: When that stuff came out wasn't even happening. Could have been like 10 years ago. Could have been that it's long. Easily ago. 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the Harley book is a little more up to date document. Yeah. Uh, and it encompasses all this drama from, you know, three, four years back or whatever. Right. There's a whole chapter on it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm going to pose a question to you How did you first hear this record and when did you buy it? Uh, I bought it right around the time it came out. I don't know if it was the day it came out. <laughs> Uh, The week it came out, but it was, you know, not long after it came out. And the interesting thing is I did have no idea this record was coming out.
0: That that was typical back then. (laughs) Right. Back then it was typical. Uh,
1: Now, you know, six months in advance sometimes the release date of something. I went into a uh, little store in Rhode Island. I used to go to all the time. Sam's record and tapes in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island. The place was tiny. Uh, I used to go there with my friend Dan Ladd all the time. We'd go there all the time together, buy tapes and CDs and whatever. Um, and I just walked in on a whim, and they had the tape. And me and him were both huge chromax fans. I don't think he knew it was coming out either. We were like, holy shit. And bought it, put it in the cassette deck of my car, and drove around. And I don't think either one of us really knew what to think about it. Well, that's where I got it.
0: I think the first time I heard it, it was on Nasty Habits. Maybe the song, the Death Camps song, was being played on that. What's Nasty Habits? It was uh, a radio show that was on WERS. Oh, okay, okay. And it was, I think the fr- I definitely heard Death Camps on the radio first, and I was like, on some on a college station. W-R- WERS is, was is the Emerson um, University radio station, and they used to have this insane metal show called Nasty Habits that is no longer happening now. But for decades okay this thing existed and they always played like the best underground, like you know, death metal, extreme music, whatever. So I just listened to that show it was on Sunday nights and I heard Death Camps on that show. And uh, they said, Oh I like, oh this is a cool song and they said it was the Chrome i I'm like, how the fuck is this the Chrome
1: Didn't sound anything like Age of Quarrel. Right. Uh, was it more so cuz the vocal sounded different to you or th- just it all sounded different I think the whole thing everything sounded different it yeah. was like chromags
0: was clearly uh, age of quarrel chromags was clearly a hardcore record in my opinion even though right. earlier i said there was like oh yeah sabbath but but it still was like a hardcore punk album yeah best wishes leading track death camps Was like more like what I thought Suicidal sounded like, right? More like a metal record, and the production was more production, way more metal, vocal style, completely different. Harley, and you know, then I learned that Harley was the singer, right? And I was like, wow, this is like completely different. And I gotta say, I didn't like it at first, okay? Initially, in my honest opinion, I didn't like Best Wishes, and it it wasn't until a couple years later that I really appreciated the record. Now,
1: I prefer this record over, <laughs> over over Age of Quarrel. I was going to oppose a question to you. Yeah, uh, and that was going to be the question. at At this point in your life, what would you? What do you prefer to listen to? I prefer to listen to Best Wishes. So do I. Uh, Age of Quarrel is ingrained in my head. Yeah, like I know every lyric, to every song, I know every note, and I know Best Wishes a lot too because I've come to love that record, but. Now when I reach for a Cro-Mags record, I go to best wishes. I know yeah. it's like sacrilege to say that.
0: And uh specifically on that record, I, I go to the only one. Fuck yes. The song that like I kind of was like when I first heard the record, I was like, What the fuck is this doing on this album? And it sounded <laughs> like like Megadeth or something, you know what I mean? And I was like I'm like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this, you know, it's like a little too like heavy metal, you know. Right. But Like, a a couple years ago, I started... You know what it was? It was right around the time we did the crossover episode. So it was last year. Yeah. I started listening to that record, because we talked about that song. Right. And I was like, man, this is a fucking great song, Killer, man. And it's so, like... um, It appeals on a lot of different levels. You know what I mean? It's just a great, well-written song. Right. And the the vocals are very, very... um, groundbreaking really for for the time it came out in that in that style of music
1: in that scene to
0: do that kind of thing yeah
1: absolutely man yeah i was fully entrenched in the hardcore world when that record came out you know i i was a big fan of a lot of stuff on revelation and that kind of stuff when best wishes came out and i don't i can't remember if my first reaction i i didn't hate it no but i also was like oh this is an age of quarrel yeah Where it took you a couple years. I think it took me more of a couple. I I would keep going back to it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I'd Mm -hmm. be like, ah, I'm not really into this. And then a week later, I'd pull it out again. And eventually, it just sucked me in. And by the time they toured for that record, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I was all about it. And their whole thing was
0: metal. It was like this, they were like a metal band at that point. They were trying to, you know, like long hair and leather
1: jackets. (laughs) Yeah, Harley, when I seen him, Harley had long hair, leather vest, no shirt on. (laughs) You know, like... yeah, I mean his his whole attack, his whole he was like a metal front man, like um it was great, you know. I, I loved it. But uh I wasn't really at that time in my life I I wasn't listening to a lot of metal. I was listening to more hardcore and that record I feel like played a part in kind of pulling me back into getting uh, back into metal. Not that I was ever not into it, but you know what I mean? Cause like
0: at that point I had kind of like in the late in the late 80s early 90s I I kind of stopped listening to hardcore. I was more into, like, death metal and, like, yeah. you know, stuff like prong and things like that. And I was getting into, like, the AMREP stuff, like Helmet and all that. Yeah. And um, I kind of, like, was like, ah, hardcore, whatever. And then then this record came out. It was, like, it piqued my interest, but initially not enough to really jump deep into it. Right. But then they re-released it. Uh, Another Planet re-released it, the Double Disc. Yes. The, and that's when I kind of got into it a little bit. And... Remastered by the master of disaster,
1: Alan Dutchess. I was going to bring that up.
0: Yeah, man. The man. Yeah. The myth, the legend, Alan Duchess, the king of extreme <laughs> music mastering. He remastered it and, you know, another planet put it out. And that's like when I actually – because I think at that time I wanted to get a CD version of, of Age of Quarrel. And, it, and you can only find it on on, on that, that disc. Yeah. And that wasn't even
1: in print for that long. No, it wasn't. It, it just was came like and went in and out
0: they did a leeway one. Too. They did a
1: leeway one, a Warzone one, Warzone, Murphy's yeah. Law. Yeah, I've um, never been a big Murphy's Law fan, so I didn't. I don't have that. The first, I like the first records, fun. I mean, after that, whatever. But what's another thing to note? And we we covered this on the Harley episode is that up
0: until recently, none of most of the Ax material was unavailable on any of the streaming services except for Near Death Experience. Now,
1: you can find the entire catalog, right, on everything. But these are two iconic, classic records. And neither one of them are available in a physical form. See, I wanted to ask Carly about this,
0: but we just ran out of time. And I'm hoping that, you know how, like, I think on another episode we talked about, like it was the Rollins episode, when we talked about hard volume, how, wouldn't it be great if there was like a, a, you know, 180 gram vinyl version of that, or reissues, because right. everyone's right. reissuing everything these days. Yeah, yeah. I I would bet that there's going to be a reissue wave of all these
1: records, just because Harley seems to be really engaged in doing the chromags again. Well, this is my bone I want to pick with uh, you know, I'm just gonna point the finger at Profile, Wh- whoever, whatever. I mean, the label's been defunct for years now, right? right? So, whatever legal tie-ups or hang-ups or wrangling needs to be done Yeah, uh, with those guys. You know, fucking get your head out of your ass over there at Profile or whatever, whatever's left of it and figure it out. Because if you reissue these records, you could do vinyl, cassette, CD, nice packaging, remastered, whatever. People want these. People will buy these. These are two iconic records and it, it's fucking bullshit that you can't get these records. You can't go buy them.
0: So typical of all these episodes, we run down some of our favorite tracks on these records. So what are your
1: favorite songs on both records? Uh, Age of Quarrel, has to be We Gotta Know, World Peace, and then I'm going to go with Seekers of the Truth. You and I think
0: similarly, all right? So my mine are uh, you know, Secrets of the Truth, We Gotta Know, and that's just a given, man. Yeah, it's a, you have to. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Hard Times. I feel like that's like this kind of anthemic
1: song. There is no bad choice. I'm going with World Peace because starting with We Gotta Know and then the bass intro Yeah, on World Peace. Being a bass player, you appreciate that. Being man. a guy who plays bass. Yeah. yeah. Bass player, I don't know about that. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Just that when I first heard that... And that's another thing, like we were saying about the musicianship with the cro When I heard that bass, I was like, oh, this guy can play fucking bass. Uh, so that song was always awesome to me. But yes. And Seekers of the Truth has like this, it's almost like an ACDC song. That's why I love. The guitar, the slow guitar intro. Yeah. Yes. Definitely.
0: Even in even in the, the way he sings the chorus, reminds me of Bon Scott in yeah. some
1: weird way. And we both love that shit, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, so what about Best Wishes?
1: Uh... My favorite song, number one choice, is going to be The Only One. A standout track. Doesn't sound like any other tracks, but I just love it. I know you do, too. Then I'm going to go with Crush the Demoniac. And I got to go with Death Camps.
0: Yeah. For me, it's the first three tracks. Death Camps, Days of Confusion, and The Only One. Those two right there, those three right there are, like,
1: you know, so fucking powerful, man. I agree. And once again, both of these records, to me, don't have a bad track. So, there's no bad choices to me,
0: and that's it, man. You know, thank thanks to everyone for listening and hanging in there with us, and um, see you guys next time around. that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Ever... Anyway, we played with Paw, another major label band that was, um, you know, they had their big hit on MTV. We played with them in Northampton and at
1: the the at Pearl Street.
0: Yeah, okay. But it was in the small room
1: downstairs. Yeah, yeah.
0: And there was still like ten people at the show. I like Paw. You know, I do too, man. And <laughs> and it's funny because I years later, I don't know, you know, you spent you know I spent a lot of time by myself, and I'm like one night I was like, I think I was on YouTube. And I found the video for that song Jesse Jesse right. And then they had
1: they had a, they have many records out after that. Yeah, album. that's not a great song. However, that record Dragline yeah is great. And there's a record after that called Death to Traders. That's the one which okay. is great. The opening track on that song is great. It's great, man. It. They they get a bad rap, I think, because of that song because of that video. It was a little bit goofy. Well, but- the, the video the song is like a combination. It's the fucking helmet. It's a riff. It's a helmet riff, basically. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were definitely of that, you know, of that helmet worship time, but they had like this kind of like. No, no, no. It's a
0: fucking note for note
1: (laughs) helmet riff, bro. It's not just we're influenced by helmet. But anyway, sorry. No, no, no. no, It's okay. Uh, They had this like. uh, This is going to sound awful, but it's actually cool. They had like this weird kind of country vibe. They should have embraced that more. And I think they did later, though. Yeah, but it was still, like, heavy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they would have been out of place, like, touring with, like, Tad or something. They probably did tour with Tad. I don't know. Um, but, yeah. All right. But That's enough about Paw. But
0: when I found... <laughs> no, I just want to talk one, a couple more things. I'm emoting <laughs> about Paw. There's that one song, though, and that got my mind working. And I remember that night we played with them in Northampton on, like, a Wednesday night somewhere. right? And... You know, my my old band, like, we didn't have jobs or nothing like that. We were just these scumbags. We were like, "Ah, fuck it, we'll drive out to Northampton.